Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. (laughs) Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. And welcome to another episode of Conversations with Claire. Today, I have a guest that I am super excited to get to know better personally, selfishly, and then also just share some of his story with you guys. So today's guest is Noah Heisman. I absolutely crushed that. It's spelt H-U-I-S-M-A-N. So you try to pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) So real quick, who is Noah? Noah is a startup lawyer advising companies through their life cycle. He is a health and wellness entrepreneur specializing in contrast therapy. He is an author who loves to write about philosophy and mythology. Welcome, Noah. Well, thank you for having me, Claire. (laughs) I don't know how to respond to that. Okay. So how we met, I just kind of like to take people back to how I got to know people. So I was actually had just moved to Austin I moved to Austin a handful of months ago, but I had been gone a lot. I was on a road show. So I was in a different state every three to four days for months. And so it was within the first like two week period that I had where I actually had two weeks in Austin. And I was invited over to a gym that you are an owner of, Squatch Frontier Fitness. <laughs> there it is. Love that. <laughs> yeah. So I was invited over there and got the opportunity to come in and a group of you guys were there to do a workout with me. So we did Bray, one of your coaches, we did his mobility flow. And then I got to take you guys through a CrossFit workout, which what did you think? It was great. I loved it. The devil's presses. When Bray decided he wanted to do that, I don't know that anybody expected him to say that. I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into. Yeah. But it was great. He crushed us. (laughs) 
when he specifically requested that movement, because I, for this workout, and a lot of times what I will do when I go in and, and train with new people who aren't necessarily people who train CrossFit is I will like specifically ask like, okay, so what movements do you for sure want to see? Or what movements do you absolutely not want to see? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to put anybody through an experience that they're just going to hate, right? Like I want us to move safely. I want us to have fun. We can accomplish all those things and do CrossFit, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, we got to do that. And then afterwards, they also have a recovery area there where they do the contrast therapy that you're such a fan of. So they have a, a sauna and a cold plunge and all that. So anyway, we were going over and doing that. And I was, of course, taking a video in true Claire fashion. <laughs> and you quoted something that for me just stood out so much because I my life had become so chaotic. And so much of all of the practices that I had put into place over the last like year and a half with my own mindfulness practices and just all these different things, like I had just pushed to the side to go do this thing. And I just kind of lost my roots. Like I didn't have them. I was new here, didn't have any community here yet, really mm. didn't feel connected, felt super disconnected from myself. And I couldn't articulate that because I, I mean, it was just too much, too fast. So to be there and do that with you guys and have you quote this, like what it gave me was this sense of peace of like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like there are good people here and you're going to be okay and you're going to find your footing and it's all going to work out and it's not just going to happen overnight. But like, you had no idea that you gave me that gift in doing what you were doing, but being there and experiencing that with your group of friends was very, very meaningful for me to give me some sense of like, I could actually breathe out for a moment. Mm. And that hadn't been the case for months. So thank you for that. Are you talking about when I said that what you run from is within you? I have it all written down. Okay. Yeah. But yes, that's it. <laughs> well, because yeah. you said that and then you built upon it. Yeah. yeah. And so... Thanks to having it on video, I reflected back and wrote it down. Oh, nice. So I'm going to repeat what you said. Okay. So you quoted Seneca. Yeah. And you said, which is a stoic. And you said that which you run from is within you. So many of us go through life thinking that happiness, joy, fulfillment waits in the next thing, the next opportunity, the next trip, the next occasion, the next meal. We forget that happiness is at our feet. It follows us like a shadow with us wherever we are, that which you are run from is within you. Wherever you go, there you are. The malady moves with the man. You did say it more eloquently when no, you said no, it. No, no, There's no right or wrong way to say it. Yeah. So that just had such a, a profound impact on me. And that's why I've invited you here to come be on the podcast today, yeah. just because I was like, huh, okay, that's a person who thinks differently. And the fact that that stood out enough to you to want to say those words and I take it you probably try to actually like live by a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, so that one in particular is we were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording about how much in the past I've sort of had this gypsy soul of my own in terms of like bopping around growing up in Iowa. Then I went to South Dakota for college, played football and I moved to Minneapolis to go to law school. And then I lived in Boston for about half a year. Then I went back to Minneapolis and then for the last two years, now down here in Austin, Texas, there's a certain element of my nature that I've struggled with in terms of having sort of embodying the opposite of what that quote stands for in terms of allowing myself to live somewhere for a brief period of time before I feel like I need to flee somewhere else. The way I like to think about it is, have you seen Harry Potter? Absolutely. Okay. So there's the golden snitch, right? And mm -hmm. A lot of people would say that the golden snitch is sort of representative of 
the Greek god Hermes, who's the god with like the winged sandals, and he's sort of like he's the messenger god, and he kind of flies around. So they would say the snitch is sort of representative of that spirit, that like flighty kind of going around. And would think about myself, what I realized within the last year or so is that there's a certain amount of like the gold of the snitch. It's like I only felt comfortable being in certain places for a certain amount of time for as long as I was sort of like able to avoid people really seeing my true nature. And it's like this, the way that the snitch is gold, right? It's like, I can be around for a few years, but then after that, once people really start getting to know me, then it's like time to move on somewhere else. There was something about like being seen, like truly seen that just, I'd never felt comfortable with. And I still struggle with it too. And so there's a C.S. Lewis says something about like this idea that the things I talk about or write about, it's like, I come to you like not as your master, but as a guide mm-hmm. is like somebody, you know, with lessons learned things I've struggled with in the past. Rilke is one of my favorite poets and he has the same idea. Like don't, he, he, in his letter to a young poet, he says like, don't confuse the fact that I'm writing to you these things with thinking I have it all figured out. The reality is the things I'm saying to you are things I've needed or still need. That is why I've gotten to the point that I've gotten to is because I've needed them, prescribed them to myself sure. very often. Right. And so this one specifically of the idea that like the malady moves with the man and just like wherever you go, there you are is something that like every time you go on a vacation and you have these high expectations for a vacation or a trip and then it only takes a few days for sort of that initial glow to wear off Mm -hmm. to find that your same anxieties are still there. You can't, no trip can a tangled soul. And so it was, once I moved to Austin, we were also talking about this idea of like, I just really feel like I'm in a season where I'm being called to put down roots and like settle into some things instead of just like constantly ripping up roots and moving. It's a classic, like the cliched, like, you know, the plant can't grow if it's, if you keep taking out of its pot. And so just feeling like I'm in a situation where first 30 years of my life was just putting myself in new pots and never really allowing my roots to reach deep. Yeah. That's interesting. That's such a different perspective on Life. That's kind of one of the things that we spoke about before we actually started yeah. recording as well. Just that what you feel your purpose is today and what I feel my purpose is today are like pretty relatable, but the way in which we arrive yeah. there is so vastly different. And I think that comes to mind when you speak about this as well, because for you, you've moved a lot and so mm. you've not set down those roots. And so that's your norm or that's where you're comfortable. That's what feels safe. Whereas for me, this is the first time I've moved out of my home state. I lived in one place for 17, 18 years, and then I'm 18 years, and then I moved somewhere else and was there for 12, you know? So moving here, it's different because I got uprooted in a different way. But whereas that was normal for you, so this is your discomfort, is to actually stay put. Yeah. But I think it's really, really cool. And I think that at that moment that you said it for me, like I said, it was just so impactful because there was escapism. Like I've always had escapism. I think a lot of us probably struggle with not really wanting to be with ourselves. And so for yeah. me, for a large portion of my life, that was largely through substance abuse and just being able to kind of, okay, I'll just deal with all of this over here now because, or I'll just, you know, I can compartmentalize this. I know that I'm going to have a certain time window, like then I'll get to go party and I won't have to whatever. So I would just not sit with myself ever. Yeah. Right. And so what you're talking about sitting here now is like, okay, I need to actually feel this out and build these relationships and lean into this discomfort that I maybe haven't like been willing to lean into in recent history. Yeah. There's a French philosopher, Blaise Pascal is his name. Great name. 
Yeah, he's one of my favorite people. And one of his favorite sayings, you may have heard it, is all of man's problems stem from his inability to sit in a room alone. And it's kind of the same thing of yeah. before I moved to Austin, a lot of my decision to move to Austin is made like in COVID. And I think if you can call it a blessing, one of the silver linings of COVID is that it forced people to sit with themselves and their decisions that they've made with their lives and became easy to sort of drown out like doom scrolling and like social media stuff. But it also made us sort of sit in our apartments and houses and sort of reflect on the decision we'd made for ourselves and the direction we're trying to head. And so it was this forced sort of isolation and silence and thinking to yourself about what decisions you've made and where you're headed. And so I realized how much I had been sort of burying, this is corny, but it's like burying the cries of my spirit in piles of paper at work. You know, maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's working out. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It can be all of those things. Right. And all of them, in my opinion, are just like a distraction. They're an attempt to get away from yourself. I mean, you don't need to sit with yourself silently for very long before thoughts just like assail you. And are just like coming in your and like what I try to ask people to do is it's like just cultivate that habit, give it a shot, and see what like what it's saying. Like just observe it, just witness it. And chances are, if things are sort of out of order, it's gonna tell you pretty quickly, like just based on where your mind goes, based on on what things you're worrying about, where your attention goes, what you're like, all of that stuff. Your intuition does a pretty good job of telling you most of the time we know what we need to fix, and like our distractions are because we're unwilling to change the things we know we need to change. Mm -hmm. And so we distract ourselves and drown out that voice. Sure. And it's like, what would it look like to live a life that no part of your soul rebelled against? That's a very Socratic, like Socrates, that was what he tried to do. I talk about it in the beginning of my book. Socrates is one of my favorite figures. He eventually got put to death because he sort of stood up against the rest of the Senate. And effectively what happened was, is quoted in the Apology. Plato wrote the Apology. And he has Socrates go before the court and he talks about having this internal oracle that he consulted on all matters at all times. And that's how he made his decisions. If something was going to happen in his internal oracle, aka his soul or his genius, as they would have called it, his daemon, D-A-I-M-O-N, if it didn't object, then he knew it was the right thing. But if it did object, he knew then it was like, okay, I need to change course. And so when it came time for him to walk before the court and actually go and drink poison and die... He basically consulted his internal oracle and it was, didn't object to it. And so it was like this idea of he tried as much as possible to live out this idea that nothing, this is another Seneca saying, but it's very Socratic, nothing except the soul is worthy of wonder. And so nothing except sort of that internal voice is the only thing you owe your, your loyalty to. And it's like anything in the world that tries to bully you from that purpose, it's like that is, you should be indifferent to that. So it's like cultivating this indifference to everything except for sort of like your soul. Yeah. It, that's what Socrates tried to live out. I'm nowhere near that, but that's like, I would say me moving to Austin was my first big move in pursuit of living that life. Well, that's why I, I came and stayed in Austin. It was like following that call. Yeah. That's actually the irony of the, I guess it's not so surprising because this is just kind of how life goes, you know, but one, I think that so often I would imagine this was the case for you that you had to reach a level of discomfort to start to implement those practices and to start to get hungry yeah. for that information. But I literally was just listening to something this morning that was 
referring to some writings from Paul Tillich, who just talked about the two words we have in the English vocabulary for spending time alone and how it's loneliness and solitude Mm. and how loneliness is this feeling when you're alone that is weak. It makes you feel weak to be alone, to feel lonely versus solitude, time spent alone where you actually feel strength. And just sitting and thinking with that, being like, wow, you know, all of these practices that you've put into your life and that I am practicing with my own. And like you said, none of us are experts at it. We're just hungry to figure it out that like it's come to this place of solitude. And so now I seek it. Whereas when I was initially instructed to spend time alone, I was like, well, that's wildly uncomfortable. I've never done that. I certainly don't want to do that. And it was fucking hard. But now to do it so regularly and I just know that like I still have to force myself to but I know that if I'll just do that for a brief period of time like that is the good shit you know and it doesn't even take that long to get to like all of those thoughts and to get to your intuition or whatever you want to call it if you're willing to intentionally spend time in a place of solitude yeah that's super interesting it makes me think of like when I went to the Odessa concert with Yash in Dallas yeah I've been thinking a lot about loneliness for some reason. I don't know why, but it's like been on my mind a lot. Is it something that you experience currently? Well, I'm just trying to, I think I'm trying to like figure out exactly what's going on. I think I'm sort of like falling on it. It is, I was exploring this thought, thread, whatever you want to call it, of loneliness is such a strange thing because I think that actually like most of loneliness in today's day and age sprouts from this persona that we operate in as in the world meaning like in basically being inauthentic versions of ourselves because i think the loneliness thing you can experience is when you're being somebody other than who you truly are in the world you're pretending to be somebody because then you're estranged even from yourself absolutely and so it's like and often you're blissfully unaware when you're there yeah like you don't even know you're there but you are yeah. so outside of you we were at this why i brought up the odessa concert is because we were in the middle of this odessa concert and people are screaming around us and like a ton of them are super drunk you know they're having a good time and i remember like looking at yash and just having this overwhelm this is so strange and this is like so hoity-toity of me that i kind of hate that i'm bringing it up but it's like because <laughs> people are having a great time and they're entitled to have a great time sure there was a certain degree to was I, I was overwhelmed with this sense of that it was all a charade that it was all fake yeah that, like if you've ever been to an odessa concert it's a spiritual experience right like there was one song in speci- like specifically where the people playing they didn't they just were in silence and they were just playing at that moment in time i was like i wished so hard like the audience would just fall silent but instead mm-hmm. they're screaming they're mm-hmm. like drinking and like all this stuff sure. again and nothing against drinking sure nothing against drinking so i don't want to like come off like a hard o against it but every fiber of my being just wanted to silence everybody and be like just let it heal you let the music heal you like you don't have to be anything you don't have to pretend to be anything other than what you are and it just i'm victim of this too i do it all the time and it's like there's this idea of how much we move through the world pretending to be something other than who we truly are and like pretending to care about things we don't actually care about Mm -hmm. and then not express like holding there's a german philosopher friedrich nietzsche and he talked about all truths held in become poisonous. And so I was like, how many people are poisoning themselves by the truths they're holding in? Sure. 
and it's all centered around this idea of a failure to be ourselves. And that it was just so loneliness to me is such a loaded phrase, loneliness. But it's come to be sort of like, how do you cure loneliness? I think we've taught people that the cure to loneliness is finding another person. All of the cures to loneliness, and I think the cure is being your most, expressing your most authentic self in the world. That is the cure to loneliness. Because then you can be a friend of yourself. That Seneca, another Seneca thing is he's like, what progress have you made? Question mark. I've begun to be a friend of myself. That's the cure to loneliness. And I think that's what I've tried to been like, trying to figure out exactly where my issues with loneliness is and like wrestling with the term and like what it means and why, like if that was even the emotion I was feeling. That's why loneliness has been on my brain is like, and I'm like working these thoughts out real time. So I appreciate the space yes. to sort of work through it. No, I love it. Head, but I, I think, think that's it. I think that's my issue. I think it's an exciting place to be in because while in that moment when you're like chewing on this, it's like, yeah. I don't know what this how's this going to digest? You know, mm. like, I don't know how to work through that. But like, that's like the place that to be in a position where you get to consider things on that level is beautiful, you yeah. know? So, I mean, there's beauty in that. And like, why do I feel this way? And being a friend to yourself, like, oh man, you know, as you're talking about that experience at Odessa, and it just makes me think of yet again, you know, and I'm in the same boat as far as I'm an alcoholic. That's why I can't drink, (laughs) you know, but a lot of people have no issue and that's great for me. I was pouring substances all over my experiences to fit myself into situations and rooms and so on. When my brain is inside my head, I'm super uncomfortable. in. that's what that brings me to is like, once I was able to actually like be with myself often enough, then it was like, wait a second, this doesn't align with us at all. Yeah. Oh, Okay. And so not that I've never been to an Odessa concert. I would love to go to one of those. But that's interesting that you say that about, because I'm thinking about those people's experiences and potentially how it's like, they're not even getting the experience, yeah. right? Because it's this, the persona is happening. This, this like charade is happening. And, and I'm just all too familiar with the charade. And I know, so I am it just too. speaks to me, am, you know? I'm, it just goes back to what I was saying earlier. Of it's like, I'm claiming no superiority. Sure. It's just lessons learned. So yeah. like my freshman year in college, I redshirted playing football. And I didn't drink in high school. And then I got to my freshman year in college and like I was getting blackout drunk twice a week, like mm-hmm. every Friday and every Saturday. And it was all just an inability to like, I was just uncomfortable with the feelings of inferiority. First, my, when I was redshirting, right? Like you go from being the best of the best in high school to just being the one of the many in college. And all of a sudden you're with a room and a team full of people that are best players. And instead of like, I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. It was the first time I sort of was faced with the idea that I wasn't the best player on the team that in like all of these things. And what I didn't realize until a long time after the fact was that, I mean, that put me down some pretty dangerous paths until at the end of my freshman year, went to a Lupe Fiasco concert with a couple of teammates in this small town in St. Peter, Minnesota, and like drank way too much, way too fast. Don't remember the concert at all end up getting kicked out of the concert the rest of it is you know you get like those flashes when you're that drunk of like it's blacked out but like you have flashes they this look is like a photographs. typical tuesday for claire what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you get like those flashes so like yeah. that's all i have like in the memory bank of that night but i end up getting tased twice that evening and then sent to jail and then i wake up in jail the next day i have no idea why i'm in there like, I think in my mind, I think I like drove my car and like killed somebody 
until I'm in jail the entire day. They wouldn't let me out till I had blue zero. So it was like five o'clock. I'm sitting in there. Nobody will tell me why I'm there. I'm in this like solitary confinement cell because the drunk tank was too full. And so I'm thinking I did something serious. No idea. And then they finally let me out and I find out I just basically just got a minor and then obstructing legal process because they said I tried to get away from the cops. And I will never, ever forget the smell of that jail cell, how I felt in that jail cell. And that was the moment when that was honestly the impetus for me then having to navigate the legal process to become a lawyer. I never wanted anybody to feel as helpless as I felt in that moment. I'm not going to sit here and say like I stopped drinking after that, but it definitely was a wake up call and like was a course correction. And then I slowly sort of like more and more realized like it's not worth it for me. Sure. But even still, then I sort of like fell back into seeking an escape through law school. I mean, law school is hard on a lot of people. It kind of puts you back into that high stress environment where everything's graded on a curve. So it pits you in this like competitive environment with your classmates where it's like how well you do is kind of dependent on other people doing poorly. And so it's really hard. And you bring with the athlete mentality of like work hard, play hard. And then all of a sudden it's like the only way to turn my brain off is through alcohol, is through like, like something. I don't even know what made me, honestly, Austin was the best thing that ever happened to me in that regard. The more and more I thought about it, it was like these periods of time that are supposed to be for rest are actually making me more exhausted. When like you say Austin was the best thing for you in that regard, what do you mean? I mean, like putting myself around people where I didn't feel that there was no pressure to be that. Like yep. there were examples of people having fantastic times that had no desire to make alcohol a part of it. And then once you sort of like introduce yourself into that environment and you realize how possible it is, you're just like, why would I ever go back? Right. It's no hostility to like drinking sure. or like whatever it is, alcohol or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's more of just like, if I want to be the person I want to be, if I want to do the things I want to do, I need to protect my energy. Right. And it's like drinking sucks. I mean, I think it's called a spirit. I'm not sure if this is true or not. I can't remember where I started saying it. I say it's called a spirit because that's what it takes, like the alcohol. And I like, always said that about a different substance that I then towards the end, after my grandmother passed away, then I really, and that was February of last year. And then I got sober in April of last year. So it was like a two month crash course where I introduced a substance again that that's how I described it. Because at that point it was, I want to be numb and I don't care what it takes and I want to do so, and I guess I'll just say it was just Adderall, right? But yeah. like that, and I mean, I did other substances as well. Don't get it wrong. But for me, it was like, that would allow me to stay up longer, to consume more alcohol, to be more numb. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all I wanted to be was numb at that point. But I think what you're speaking to with this is, and so for you, it was that at that time, but like, it's a coping mechanism, you know, and we are all always going to have coping mechanisms because we have to deal with life. And so what are the coping mechanisms that we can enlist and utilize that are like, more optimal or, you know, yeah. and so that obviously is one that is often when you're using it for the sake of coping, whether it's the stress of school or whatever it is, then like checking that reality and being like, oh shoot, I'm not using this as just like a, you know, this isn't just like a fun, whatever. Like this is actually to cope with life. Mm, that's what are we doing? You know, but also then so is going to the gym, yeah. but that's just a one that's like, a lot like if we're gonna that's a space that we're doing good for ourselves for the most part and so if you're gonna need to have coping mechanisms recognizing the ones that we do have and like our relationship with them and is that serving us or not and i mean 
I think it's cool that I couldn't agree more as far as getting to Austin and then being like, wait a second. There are so many people who support a healthy version of Claire. This is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So three things based on what you just said that I want to make sure I touch on. The first one, whenever people ask me about what I love about Austin, I've refined my answer enough to where, and I I believe this is true. I say Austin is a place where you come to establish a relationship with who you want to be. And like, that's how I felt since day one. And it took me a while to articulate it, but that's why I love Austin so much. Yeah. Two, I'm not sure like what ancestrally, what your history is and like with alcoholism and stuff too. But the other big slap in the face for me, slap in the face isn't the right way to put it. I would say the thing that flipped to this switch for me, I remember it was like three years ago. I think it was like three years ago. I had a very honest, like candid conversation with my mom and centered around, cause like we wouldn't really, it was, we would always butt heads a little bit. Like, cause my parents never drank growing up. Like, they tried wine or whatever at one point and it just wasn't a thing. And like, even after we grew up, went to college, all that stuff, the idea of like alcohol and their presence always created this like weird tension because each of my siblings and I, like we will have a drink from time to time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I've finally sort of sat down and had the conversation with my mom about what alcohol did to my dad in terms of his dad being an alcoholic and like, putting him in the car and leaving him in the car while his dad went in to like drink beer with his friends while my, my dad as a child was like sitting in a car. And so then like my dad makes the decision based on that behavior. I'm never going to do that to my kids. And so my dad did all of this hard work to ensure that sort of that gene stopped with him and didn't get passed on to his kids that then their worry is that like that I was going to reawaken that gene. Mm-hmm. and like undo all of this work my dad had done mm-hmm. and as soon as I had that conversation with my mom it was just like a turning of a knife in my stomach it was like I can't I can't drink anymore I would say the most underrated work that anybody does in this world I think is the hard work to stop generational curses with them and it's like that's one of those things where it's it's pure like that is one of the most selfless things I think anybody can do is making sure like the things that have passed to you like through your genetic chain. I mean, cause like you start thinking about in the context of like, what things do you want to pass on? The, the people that, that sort of the thoughtfulness to think about what things they want the next generation to inherit is just, it's really meaningful to me. And then, so as soon as I sort of came aware of what my dad did in that regard, it was like, okay, you don't need to drink anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's impressive that you came to it from that, like, good on you. You know, that's really, really cool. People come there from many different ways or avenues yeah. to arrive there. And it certainly, my parents didn't model for me what it looked like because it impacted them. So it's very relatable. Just all that. But okay. So I hold have on, all this. Can yeah. I, can I try this coffee? Yeah. Okay. Guys, <laughs> we're going to take a pause. Uh, <laughs> I made him I've coffee when he got here. And then I was like, you're not allowed to try it until we're recording. So sorry, but hold on. This coffee is the coffee that I drink every morning. It has my vegan power pro and my collagen in it. So anyway, you are more than welcome to now try your cup of coffee. You're getting it. And if you hate it, tell them. (laughs) I want a real response. Yeah. Oh, were you going to ask about the cup? Up to you. No, no, no. I was going to. What do you call this? Oh, Oh gosh, I don't know. It's just the protein. Or it's just my protein coffee. It's the coffee that I wake up to. I dream about it before. Before, <laughs> like I love it. That's very good. Isn't that so good? I'm trying. To, what's all in here? 
So it literally is just this, it's the iced oatmeal cookie flavor, vegan power pro. So it's just a protein. Yeah. yeah. And then collagen. The collagen itself is salted caramel. And then it's just a coffee that yeah, I like, chameleon so coffee. I, I sucker for salted caramel. Oh, good. <laughs> there are a bunch of different flavors. I'm not going to lie. I've only tried the salted caramel because I love it so much. Yeah. And I really struggle with supplements and like decision fatigue. <laughs> And I don't want to make those choices. Like, I don't want to have to look at the options yeah. in there and be like, which one do I do today? So just, these are my tried and trues. We yeah. just hang out with them. And yeah, anyway, that one is, so yeah, that's just good for, you know, this probably, but yeah. just your collagen is great for your bones, joints, tendons, ligaments, bones, or hair, skin, nails, yada, hair. yada. Yeah. Yeah. You can get the hair. <laughs> I will say it's actually, I think really helped because I straightened my hair for literally 14 years. And yeah. so someone actually made a comment to me a couple of days ago at the gym that I've been training at one of the owners, shout out Jess. She was like, I went back and saw your pictures from whenever you used to straighten your hair. And I was like, that is a deep dive girl. Or maybe that was on Google. I don't know. <laughs> but either way, she was like, is your hair naturally this curly and whatnot? And I'm like, yeah, last year I was doing 75 hard and decided I didn't have the time to straighten it and let it be curly. And then was like, what have you been doing to this like, I love my hair now, you yeah. know? And I'm like, oh, you were ruining it for so long. But the collagen has helped a lot because it was very, very broken. So how long have you been sober? A year and a handful of months. I don't think we're quite to six months yet. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a year and yeah, yeah. a few. So my second book is on this idea of... The, so the first book is an introduction to philosophy. This is your first book. Yeah. You didn't know I had it there, did you? Uh, I did I conceal it? Dang it, you I, saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, anyway, and I'm like 75 pages in. Oh, good. It's dense. It's dense. So it's you don't great. have to finish it. I'm going to finish it. Okay, if you want to. You wrote it. I, I did write it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, the second book is on is more mythology-based, but it's going to be in the same way I do a history of philosophy in the first one. This one's like a history of the idea of the hero. In the same way, I kind of go ancient Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt, Greece, Rome, early Christianity. I'm going to do the same thing with the idea of the hero and like the ideal, and like what the hero has been throughout cultures and ages, what it's said about the people and what we hold out as something to admire. One of the phases of the hero's journey, which I'll also talk about in it, is kind of the phase that's called trials and temptations. And a lot of that phase is actually a metaphor, like human growth generally. And so in the same way that a hero would face trials and temptations, we face these things in our lives that force us to shed old versions of ourselves yes. and step into something new. Yes. Like in the story of Hercules, he goes through 12 labors. It's called apothesis or deification. It's this idea of this purging of the old self, of all the lesser pieces of yourself to sort of reveal a more realized version of yourself. And so I always think it's super interesting. One of my favorite poems is this poem, Defeat by Khalil Gibran. At the end of it, he says, defeat my defeat. And then he says, together, we will dig graves for everything that dies within us. And we shall laugh together in the sun. Together, we shall be dangerous. And so this whole idea that like digging as many graves as possible for the pieces of yourself that need to die is like, I just love that as a visual. And just as a way to like a lot of this book will, the second book is going to be about helping people form a vision of what it looks like for them to live a heroic life. And so one of the major pieces of it, obviously, is is this examination of like, what are your 12 labors? Like, what are the, you can watch Hercules go through these things. And with each one, he is forced to learn a lesson. He's forced to shed some version of the past version of himself in order to like get closer and closer to deification where he go, gets to Mount Olympus. 
so I think it's a really useful way to view ourselves and our lives is like, what lesser piece of me do I need to shed next? And that's, that's a, a huge reason why I chose this fitness goal that I'm pursuing now of the sub five minute mile and 500 pound deadlift in the same day is because I knew that it was going to be this like forced period of shedding poor habits in it's all on a spectrum. So it's like, how do I exchange these habits for slightly better habits and slightly. And so I think that's such a, where I'm going with this long winded question is around this idea of, I just didn't know how closely correlated when you shifted from straight to curly hair was with sober from not sober. Very close. Okay. Yeah. Because I started 75 hard shortly after getting sober. I had a friend that, which 75 hard, by the way, for anyone listening that doesn't know, it's a program that or let's see here, Andy Frisella, who mm-hmm. is the first form CEO. Anyway, he, which is the supplement company that I work closely with. And anyway, he has this program available, which is it's 75 days straight of all of these actions that you take each day for 75 days. And so there's a number of different things. Like, so you have to do an indoor and an outdoor yeah. workout, or you have to do two workouts a day, two workouts that are at least 45 minutes in length. They don't necessarily need to be super strenuous, but you do need to do activity twice a day for 45 minutes at minimum. There need to be a few hours in between the two, and one of them at least has to be outdoors. There are a handful of other tasks in this that you do for 75 days as well. One of my friends was doing it, and she failed day 30-something. She forgot one of the things is take a progress photo each day, and she forgot to take her picture. It's one of the biggest like failed sh- things. Right? Really? Yes. Yeah, because it's such a simple one. And so you're going to remember to get your workout in, or you're going to remember to read your 10 pages, right. but you're less likely to remember to take that simple photo. So- she failed it. And so I looked at the list and I was like, I'm sober now. One of them is not to consume alcohol. So I was like, oh, I do most of all this other stuff anyway. And it was actually a really great thing for me to do at the time because I had all this energy and didn't know where to stick it. You know, newly Mm -hmm. sober, just kind of crazy. (laughs) And so (laughs) anyway, yeah, when I started 75 hard, that meant I had to exercise indoor, outdoor. It was middle of the summer. And I was like, I'm not styling my hair four times a day. Like I'm just not doing it. And so then let it go curly. I was like, you idiot. <laughs> what have you done? Like, this is great. But yeah, so it was, it was very soon after getting sober. That was actually, I've spoken to my friends about and been like, that was coming into authenticity and didn't even know it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But like it aligned very well. So there's always this interesting period of like, it feels like cascading changes to your life when you start to make a, a very monumental positive change, like the one you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it was a similar situation when I came out the end of my last relationship. That was it, a long one, right? I read about it in your book. I think you talked about it. In I there. do talk about it. I was it wasn't that long, but it was intense. And for whatever reason, it was like some of the things at play in my life sort of conspired to make the loss of it hit really hard in kind of one of those periods where you just are sort of forced to question everything. And I have to imagine when you're dealing with the angst of like, wanting to get sober and feeling like this thing is in control of your life and like wanting to take control back. It's a very similar thing to what I think I experienced of like, I had given control of my life to this relationship, to this other person. Yeah. And then it all of a sudden that leaves and it's, you're stuck feeling aimless, floatless, like you're helpless. Right. And so then you make this decision of like, I'm going to bring agency back into my life and start taking control of things. And then as soon as that decision is made, then it's like all of a sudden you're in that like dark cave and you're like are shining the flashlight around 
and you're like, that thing needs to be fixed. That thing needs to be fixed. That thing needs to be fixed. And it's like, you have to get to that like bottom of the cavern to like look at all the skeletons down there and be like, all right, that's gotta go. That's gotta go. And then there is just like, I called it my personal Renaissance period. And I'm sh- it sounds like you had the same thing. I called it a mass exodus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like painful, but it's such a beautiful time. It's hard to recognize where I'm at now versus where I'm at then. Yeah. And something I've been thinking, I had this conversation a few days ago of something I still struggle with is like, I'm still very hard on myself in terms of not being where I want to be until I stop and realize where I was a few years ago. Yeah. And it's like, you're doing good. Yeah. You're on time, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. need to chill out. <laughs> um, but and then, you know, then I forget, then I go down that spiral again and like beat myself up and it's like, dude, remember where you were a few years ago? Right. Like, we're doing good, man. It's a, that's just like, it's such a beautiful thing to witness happen in other people too. Yes. And like, I love to remind yes. people, I'm like, the pain bears beauty in its wake. And so yeah. when they're in the pain, they're like, literally, fuck you. Like, yeah. I don't get it, you know? But when you're in that dark, deep, totally suffocating moment yeah. and you're like, I can't breathe, I can't, you know, whatever, then it's so cool to have the hindsight to recognize like, wow, look at all the beauty that that created. Yes. During covid when I did have a podcast with my buddy Connor, shout out Connor, one of the things I became obsessed with was where everybody's familiar with the idea of collateral damage as a saying, but there's a Will Smith movie called Collateral Beauty. And so it's like, I remember watching that in the middle of COVID and being like, a lot of stoicism I think is actually intended to, when an event happens, it becomes very easy to focus on the collateral damage. Sure things that go wrong from it, sure. the misfortune that flows from it. We don't focus on what good could come of this thing. And that's what I call the collateral beauty. And so it's like, there is collateral damage, sure, but there also can be collateral beauty if you're looking for it. And so whatever the situation is, it can always be spun to your benefit. That's a very deep stoic idea. Like they talk about it all the time of, you know, Marcus Aurelius would say to be the fire that makes material out of everything thrown into it so that you know it's flames leap higher the idea being that regardless of what is thrown into you adversity whatever it is usually it was adversity like that's the fuel that causes your flame to leap higher seneca would say something like but he basically says like the wind is what sends the tree's roots deeper like the thing that makes it more solid and more secure is the wind that assails it on the top so it's like why do you wonder that benefit from this adversity i totally butchered the quote it's this idea that like adversity makes us more secure, makes us stronger, as long as you're not focused on sort of how it's hurting you. Sure. And that's like this idea of post-traumatic growth also. It's building resilience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And all this talk of stoicism, I also love Latin. I remember one of the things when I I met you, I wanted to make sure that we talk about is Esse Quam We Dairy. I want to talk about that. But first... Uh, Which is a tattoo that I have that my father asked me to get, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it right after this. There's another one I just learned. Dulcus ex asperis, which means sweeter after difficulties. And I think that's... Oh, I love that. Pretty great. That's really good. <laughs> yes. Can I get that one? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I have space. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I can do that. Um, oh. I think it's beautiful. And it's like, randomly, it's from a Scottish clan's emblem from like the 1600s, uh, they had it on their, I think you call them emblems? Crest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On their crest, on their yes. family crest. Yes. Yeah, dual cues, ex asperis, sweeter after difficulty. I love and that. And I think that expresses pretty well 
thing about Latin is it's such a lovely language because it can express it's so much more efficient, mm-hmm. like the language. Few words are used. Yes. To say and big things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is why I love it. So but anyway, yeah, that should be your next tattoo. Okay, deal. <laughs> Wait, now I already have a, that's two now. Which you'll love the other one as well. But Wait, what's the other one? It has to do with time. So because uh, you yes. love yeah, I know I'm like you're gonna love that one okay anyway so I have all these notes by the way guys and we have totally just like not done that but you know what that's totally okay <laughs> I was going to ask you to define because so stoicism is what you wrote your book about and so the first book and it is an introduction to philosophy it is the title of it is this way to the stars and so it's just kind of giving at least from mind you I'm only 76 pages in but it's like a chronological introduction to all of these stoics in history and so at what point in your life did you start to like dive into like stoicism what would you if you were to define it in your own words what would you define it as yes so the in the book stoicism is a part of it so like the stoics were a group of philosophers the most three most popular are seneca who was a playwright and a poet and so his language is just beautiful he's your favorite isn't he marcus is my favorite okay seneca's the best writer okay it's seneca epictetus and marcus aurelius seneca's the best writer epictetus is is like i don't know actually it's really hard he's like the most fascinating to me and then marcus is the one i just love the most because he feels the most authentic for you yeah well yeah he feels the most the closest i guess to me in terms of just the way he thinks it's like one of those things where you read it and you're like has this dude been reading my journal? Yeah, I relate to this. Yeah. 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 The portion of my book that sort of deals with 100 BC to 400 AD, like that's when the Stoics were. It's a portion of the book. Okay. Before that, you sort of get like pre-Socrates, and that's where you have ancient Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt, and you get people like Heraclitus, who's the guy that introduced this idea that no man steps in the river, same river twice, for both he and the rivers changed. It's called flux. Everything is always changing. Mm-hmm. So like even as we're talking, you're never talking to the same person because on an atomic level, our skin cells are changing. Our opinions might be changing. If we're having a good conversation, then our opinions are slightly changing. We're learning more about each other. So with each passing moment, we're never talking to the same person. What a beautiful thing, too. We're never looking at the same sun or the same moon, or the same stars. Everything is constantly changing. And so it helps cultivate this idea of like detachment to whatever you currently are because it's always changing. I mean, it's like this too shall pass is a very stoic idea that bleeds into that. Anyway, yep. Heraclitus, Pythagoras, some of those pre-Socratics. And then you get Socrates. Socrates is considered the father of Western philosophy. And he's the one I was talking about earlier where he was like dedicated to living this life that was totally in alignment with like his soul. And he is famous for being a gadfly of Greece. And what that means is like he's famous for the Socratic method also, which is in law school or it's you answer a question with another question. So it's all about getting people to examine themselves, not offering them answers, but just sort of inviting them to examine themselves and come to their own conclusion. Because again, we talked about this earlier too. Most of the time, you know the answer. You're just unwilling to admit it. Mm-hmm. To yourself, to others, all of it. Yes. Yep. So were you in law school whenever you started? I promise I'll get there. Okay. I okay. promise I'll get there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The three main people in ancient Greece were Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And then after that, sort of, you get the death of Alexander. This is just a brief history lesson. You get the death of Alexander. Alexander is sort of responsible for bringing Greek culture. It's called Hellenistic Greece. Mm -hmm. Bringing Greek culture throughout the Mediterranean because he kind of took his army in conquest. Greece was never one singular nation. It was a collection of city-states. 
So if you think about the state, like United States of America, before it was United States of America, it was the 13 original colonies, right? And so they were separate. They didn't have one federal government. That's like Greece back then. Alexander comes, he unites the Greek city-states, and they start to conquest the Mediterranean, and they bring Greek culture around the Mediterranean. And then he dies like 33. After he dies, there's nobody to unify the Greeks, and so they start to war with each other again. And so there are people living sort of in the Mediterranean at that time, sort of it's a very uncertain, a lot of anxiety, a lot of war. People aren't sure like who the powers are. And so they fall in this that like they feel lost effectively. From that, you get the birth of a bunch of different philosophies. And that's when you really start to see like early Christianity. This is all happening right around 100 BC. And then, you know, that's like 100 years before Christianity pegs the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you get you get Christianity, you get Stoicism, you get Epicureanism. You get cynicism. You get all of these brands of philosophy that sprout up during this period because people need something yeah. to like hold on to. Stoicism is one of those things. And so that's Epictetus, Seneca, and Marcus Aurelius. What I focus on a lot in my book because I find it the most fascinating is having sort of stoic inclinations and Christian tendencies in myself, in my own roots, is this like the parallels between the two. So Seneca the Stoic and Paul the Apostle turns out say things that are very similar. So like in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, like Philippians, sort of a lot of the things are John, the apostle also, they say a lot of things that are the same. They're just using slightly different language. So Paul goes to Corinth, uh, the people of Corinth in Greece, and he like looks around and sees a statue that says to an unknown God. And he basically tells the Greek people like, hey, you guys consider the, like the Stoics among these people, like you guys are like worshiping the same God as us, but like, you just don't know what to call it. Like you don't understand, like you don't realize that what you're actually feel exists. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's our God. Sure. And so that's like his, you know, to what extent that is like a, his Paul's like marketing campaign, uh-huh. you know, versus like truth. We will never know that. Right? right. But a lot of my attention in writing the book is, was sort of like, that's where I felt the most gripped by my own book i'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. i loved writing all of it but that was the piece of it where it was like it felt like i was discovering a lot for myself yeah in this like excavation project and was that largely drawing parallels between these yeah i mean okay. recognizing the similarities it was yep. like when i really got into the weeds of like the gospels and then was in the weeds of stoicism and all of a sudden i was seeing like i would read something and be like that sounds an awfully lot like this yep or even when i was reading marcus aurelius alongside Ecclesiastes in the Bible. And I'm like, these could have been written by the same author. By the way, my dad is a religious studies major. Oh, wow. And nice. the number of religious books in the, of all religions in the home I grew up in was yeah. extensive. And if you yeah. ever want to have a conversation That's great. with an, a highly intellectual, yeah, yeah. I talk about him on here occasionally and I like love it because he listens to all these and he says he has breakfast with his daughter when he does, which I, is so freaking cute. I love cute. That so much. But yeah, he definitely, I always say that he is so intelligent that he's a little socially off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I've said it I on here that. before. Anyway, if you want to talk to a guy about those <laughs> things at some point, that would be just saying. I'll, th- I'll throw them out there, but get yeah. ready. Get ready. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> it. Trapping. I love it. Um, uh, anyway, I'm going to bring this back okay. home to answering your question. Okay. okay I promise I would. Okay. <laughs> at the beginning of the book, when we're talking about ancient Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt and sort of like we're talking 700 BC and before. So the wisest person in the Bible is King Solomon. He's credited with writing Proverbs. Whether or not he wrote it is another question. 
but he's credited with writing Proverbs, which are like sayings of the wise in the Bible. When I was 16, my parents had this thing where they gave my brother a sword. They gave him the sword of David. It was a replica of the sword of David. Uh-huh. They gave me the sword of Solomon. And alongside the sword of Solomon, my mom gave me this book, and it was called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived by this Stephen Scott is the author's name. And it just follows Proverbs. And so the whole idea is that you're supposed to read this book. And in parallel, there's 30, 30 or 31 books in Proverbs. I think there's 31. But every day, the, every day of the enough for one day, of one proverb a month. And so the idea was like you spend a month, you read this book, and you read one proverb a day. And I remember going through that. And Proverbs is all about this idea of like wisdom is greater than silver and gold. Like it's greater than riches. And it's like. Would you agree with that today? 100,000%. Absolutely. I just needed you to say it. (laughs) Well, and this is where, I mean, so comparing, you know, you often get to this question of like, um, a lot of people are struggling with it and I struggle with it too, of when you try to like figuring out a model to live in the world, a lot of the ones people want to go back to is people either say ancient Greece, Athens, or Christianity. So it's Jerusalem, especially in the Western world. Sometimes you say like, you know, Eastern philosophies. But since their beginning, there's always been this tension between Athens and Jerusalem. So like Greek ideology and Christian ideology. And a lot of people, even within the Christian sort of community, like throughout the ages, St. Thomas Aquinas in 1200s, Augustine in 300, talking about them in the book too. A lot of what they did is they tried, they searched for synchronicities between them. And so Augustine would be like, he was kind of like a platonic version of Christianity that focused a lot on a lot of the same things as Plato did in terms of like the ideal and the forms. Aquinas was more Aristotle of like, how do we be good on this earth? And so even though they're Christian, they had elements of like Greece and it was like elements of Athens, but elements of Jerusalem. Yep. And so for the last 2000 years, the Western mind has had this split brain. There are other components too, but predominantly caught between the traditions of Athens and Jerusalem. And so there's been this wrestling match that occurs, I think, in everybody's head of like, which one, how do we like, writing this book for me was organizing my ideas on how I actually wrestled with these two tensions that existed in my head. I just hadn't taken the time to sort of like parse them out, figure out exactly how they fit together, how, what I would I call in the end of the book, like this braiding together of Athens and Jerusalem. And that's the thing I became like super fascinated with. In Greek culture, you get the story of King Midas. King Midas is famous. He does this favor for Dionysus. Dionysus comes to him and says, you can have anything you want. What do you want? He asks for the ability to turn everything he touches into gold. Eventually kills him. I mean, depending on the story, Aristotle would say he touched food. Like, he couldn't eat because every all the time he touched food, it turned to gold. Right. So he died. Yeah. And you get an interesting story in Christianity of King Solomon where God comes to King Solomon and he says, hey, I'm sort of pleased with how you've been acting. You can have anything you want. What do you want? King Solomon says wisdom. At this time, he's like 18. He's about to ascend to the throne. He's worried he's not going to have the ability to lead rightly and lead good. So he asks God for wisdom. And so because he asked for wisdom, God blesses him not only with wisdom, but all the riches he didn't ask for. And so you have like these twin tales telling pretty similar stories. Mm -hmm. And it's also what I love and this is like why I love mythology so much. Fast forward to modern day Disney, you get the same story with Aladdin and the genie, right? Like Aladdin gets three wishes. It's the difference between him and Jafar of like this quest for power, wealth, fame, status, and Jafar ultimately ends up being his destruction mm-hmm. versus Aladdin 
who is working his way through authenticity, but he never, he asks for love, sure, but at the very end, what does he do? He sets the genie free. What is a genie? A genie is the Eastern version of like the daemon or the soul or the genius. And so it's like, he also becomes his most authentic self at the end. So there's this parallel between him moving through the movie to release his genie, mm-hmm. his most authentic self into the world. And like that is he properly uses his wishes versus Jafar versus a King Midas. And so it's like these sort of examine these stories, look at these stories and then see how they're telling the same story. Yeah. Joseph Campbell will call it like the monomyth. A lot of people, not a lot of people, it, I can't remember who said it. The quote is something like, all authors are telling the same story. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's true as it's like, if you think about, I think in very deeply in this idea of like oneness, it's also a very stoic principle. It's like the equanimity, oneness of all things, Yeah, how we're all connected. What's bad for the bee is bad for the hive. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of centers around the same idea of like, we're all working towards the same something, even if we don't know what that is. Right. And so we can either help each other along the way to that thing or hinder each our progress on that thing. I think my view, again, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But my view is that very Christian idea that God is the alpha and the omega, right? So it's the beginning and the end. So if I think about like existence being this tapestry that gets woven together, mm-hmm. I think the conclusion is already decided and inevitable. But- our existence within that eternal tapestry can even help it on its way or hinder it. And so it's like, how much do we prevent getting to that spot or how much do we accelerate getting to that spot? And I think that's where it's like, I'm trying to figure out exactly how my own personal quest. And I think everybody's personal quest is to be like, how do, how do I, what thread within that tapestry can I make the most beautiful and like help get it work itself the way it's supposed to work. And then, yeah sort of yeah i don't know i think mine's gonna be rainbow rainbow what does that mean <laughs> it's just gonna be a pretty thread oh your thread. <laughs> that's the goal that's the goal <laughs> no I, I love all the colors of well, the wind like honest. <laughs> that actually that reminds me and now i have to tell this little story of just that whenever i was in in a 12-step meeting with a group in sobriety and one of the girls talking was giving an illustration saying that whenever you get sober, you start to grow wings. Mm. So being the human that I am, I spend the rest of the meeting thinking about myself and my wings. (laughs) (laughs) And so (laughs) maybe a little bit about others as well, but like naturally you apply that to yourself. So, (laughs) so this is good. Then I'm like, all right. So sometimes my wings are like black because I'm like a bad bitch, you know? <laughs> but then like sometimes my wings are like rainbows. <laughs> so I tell these guys after the meeting about my wings and that I've developed over the course of the meeting. And one of my friends who is amazing, hilarious, wears all black all the time. And I could, he's just, I couldn't love it more anyway. And just has this very like even keel, yeah. you know, like he's almost like, the Eeyore you love so much. He's the best. Anyway, and he looks at me when I'm telling this about my rainbow wings, and he says, Claire, your wings have sparkly rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. That sounds right. Anyway, okay, sounds well. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to stay here, actually. There's there's a cool point. Okay. I think it's cool. There's a show on Amazon called Carnival Row. Okay. Orlando Bloom's in it. Love the guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. And... 
at one point in the show, there's this idea of like uh, it's a society where there's fairies. It's like not that cheesy. Like there's a society where there's fairies, but they look like human people. It's kind of like elves in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They're like that version. They're pretty. Yeah. And then there's like a war between – they're kind of considered a lesser class of being than sort of the other classes in this society. Uh-huh. So there's a tension between the various species. Anyway, at one point, Orlando, not to ruin it, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen it. Tap um, out for a second. Put in the show notes, the timestamp, <laughs> you can come back in. Yeah. <laughs> at one point, Orlando Bloom realizes that he was once a fairy and somebody clipped his wings. And how he realizes it is he sort of like feels them. It's like phantom limb syndrome. Uh-huh. Where he feels them. Yes. But he doesn't have them. Yes. And at that point, he realizes like he once had wings, but he no longer does. And I think, I think that's a pretty dang good metaphor for a lot of things on earth. And especially for me in the context of Christianity, of this idea of like, you think about, so Augustine in the book, he talks about original sin. But it's more for me this idea of like, as if I think the metaphor I use in my book is sometimes I feel as a leaf fallen from a tree destined to have eyes to see, but no legs to reattach itself. And so it's like, there's this feeling that one of the things I struggle the most with is like this being human and like what comes along with that and the imperfection, the imperfections. And this is also like why I love Michelangelo, the sculptor. I feel tied to him in terms of what we both struggle with in terms of like having this vision of the ideal and wanting nothing more than to dedicate my life toward it, but feeling entirely inadequate every step of the way. Like having this thing inside me, like having this like divine spark, this ideal thing inside me that I owe my loyalty and duty to. And then it's like my failure to do it justice is like what inspires me, what motivates me. It's also what kills me. And so like I just, I told Yash this, I think it was at Odessa, of like having this experience of like, I could feel my phantom wings flapping and it hurts in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like in like in a, like a deep, like spiritual sort of way. Yeah. Where it's just like, and in those moments, I find myself like desiring in my most destructive moments is when I like find myself wishing to be free of my humanness. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, yeah, based on that for you, giving yourself grace is something that you probably loathe and need to work on. I then that's agree hundred percent. And it's like, it's one of those things that I'm realizing more and more. It's like, I have no idea how to do it. Okay. I have no clue. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I think awareness is the first step, but I feel like I've been stuck in that state of awareness for so long. Uh And it's like, I'll try the tricks and like, I'll try the things that people tell me. And it's like, I just, and this is where I identify with Michelangelo so much is because I can have those tools and those tricks. Yeah. But at the end of the day, for me, the only time the voice inside is silent is when I'm writing. Yeah. So like, that's why I fall in love with writing. And that's why it's like the highest priority for me is because it feels like that's at least a point when I feel like I'm making my way towards that thing. Yeah. That feels like regrowing wings to me. Yeah. Well, then it's interesting. I don't know. Cause I think for me with whatever creative, you know, I, I get to use creative outlets today, whatever. And, and in all the projects I'm working on involved in whatever, I know that none of them are ever perfect and I'm so yeah. okay with it. And I bet that probably just makes you mad. <laughs> 
I mean, like that's because I, uh, my point being with that is simply that I, I understand that like there is value in so much of what we're doing. And so is it all perfectly put together in this box with this bow that's beautiful and just right? No, but it has value and it's going to add to my quality of life for me to get it out there. And it's going to add to someone else's quality of life to be able to relate in that way. And so it's not necessarily the same project at all, but like, I think because of that desperation to share and just the fact that I think it's probably safe to say I'm slightly less intellectual than you. Um, <laughs> not that I'm not, but I'm no, just saying no, like, no, no, but I mean, on you certain are in, things. Yeah. But you're more intellectual on other things. I don't know, but For sure. <laughs> way, well, that is without like, a doubt true. I, I have that beautiful luxury of like being able to understand, like, this isn't going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect, yeah. whatever. But like, fuck it, go, go, like just let it out there. And then all of a sudden, I think that that's another piece of like the beauty of it, the gift of it, of sharing even in its imperfection or or experiencing whatever in its imperfection is as soon as I'm able to be human and just be imperfect because I am, I've suddenly given you space to do the same thing. Yeah. So now we get to do that together. And that's a really cool experience that like people who suffer from such high levels of ego, you know, they just don't get to experience that at this time. And I'd love for them to have a little bit more of that. It's so strange for me after it came out, after the book came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did it earlier on this podcast of like, whenever somebody says to me something of like, I need to finish it or I need to read it. My response is always like, no, you don't like, don't read it. Like, and so there is, there is this like, it's so strange for me because it required more of me than anything else I've ever done. But I think I expect it to be, I'm worried that I'll never be proud of anything I do. Like I get this sense when I read on like, I are have you this, proud of this book? I'm proud of the fact that I like got it out of me, which is different than the feeling of like, if you were to open that and like start reading it right now, would not, I would not like that at all. Like that would make me very uncomfortable. Um, there's this weird, I don't know. I don't know even what I'm like trying, the point I'm trying to make with this. I think it's, it's like, beautiful what you're doing right now and being human and simply stating <laughs> that like that's, you know what I mean? Like that makes me uncomfortable. And I think yeah. it's really, really cool too, because you spoke earlier about we're ever evolving, yeah. you know? And so then releasing the fact that like the version of you that wrote that book was different than the version yeah. of you that sits here today. And that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Yeah. True. Ooh, yeah. We've got some give True. ourselves grace to work on. We really do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. You can hate it all you want, well, but it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And a thing for anybody that hasn't listened to it yet or seen it yet, there's a couple podcasts with um, Shia LaBeouf that have just come out. I heard about it. haven't so consumed f- any of it there yet. There are a few of them. And okay. I've always loved Shia. And just as somebody that, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've always had this sense that like he's searching. And so he's always held like a special place in my heart, but he has two recent podcasts. One, John Beltran, I think is the guy's name. Okay. He's like an actor. That's a good one. He has another one with this Bishop Baron, who's like this Catholic priest. Because Shia just did a movie where he plays Padre Pio, who's like his famous, like, no, he's not a monk. He's like the Christian, I can't remember what. Uh, I've heard of this. Uh, whatever, whatever Aquinas was, where it's like there's an abbey. It's like the Dominican friar. Yeah, friar. Okay. Anyway, there's also this weird realization in that me, false humility is such a weird thing. Because like, I think 
part of my own insecurity is around this idea of like not trusting myself. So like King Solomon, right? So yes, he initially asked God for wisdom and he's like given all these things. But then in the story in the Bible, what happens then is like he eventually falls out of wisdom and he falls from power. And so it's like this like power corrupts absolutely sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing where like by being so sensitive to this idea of like having of arrogance of like coming across having anybody one of the most wounding things anybody can say to me is that like you're arrogant Mm -hmm. and i I recognize that there are points there is some of that there are points in my life i mean i think we all have those seeds of arrogance in us there's this weird thing of like i'm it's so wounding to me to hear that it's like it can come across as like me I call it humility, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's just like, in reality, it's still ego because it's me thinking about myself. Sure. Thinking about like, as opposed to like, what could it do for others? Like coming out from that perspective, it's mm-hmm. still like a total self-absorption. And so then I get caught in a spiral of like, frick, my humility is actually just straight ego too. It's like, not actually, it's like back and forth. Absolutely. Of like, yeah. It's I, like, I'm doomed. I'm doomed if I do, doomed if I don't. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. And then I think I get, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the ego is something that I think everyone has to deal with in some capacity. And so, but then again, to just straight out demonize ego altogether and say that it's nothing but bad, I just don't yeah. agree. And I think that although trying to practice humility and understanding that we are humans that are very self-centered by nature, but then- there's a certain level of like ego that I think has to exist hopefully within this like healthy space, hopefully and doesn't get too far crazy, but like to be able to shine that light, to be willing to write that book and let that be out there and have your name be on it, you know, to be willing to come on the podcast. Like there has to be a healthy or there has to be some level of ego that has yeah. to occur that like, okay, like I do want this, you know, because we all have it. And so then are, what are we using it for? And are we letting it become this bad? I mean, I just, I think it's a very interesting topic to me because I think there have been times in the past where I would have just outright said ego is nothing but bad. And then I'm like, "Mm, I don't know that I do think it's nothing but bad. Yeah, there's, I mean, Ryan Holiday has a book called Ego is the Enemy. And like you hear the term ego death all the time. And I mean, it's something I've been thinking about a lot too. Somebody asked me the question of if I could get rid of ego or sense of self, would I? Because, like, if you think about it, what I think what they're ultimately asking is, like, would we be left with this just, like, feeling of oneness? Like, total feeling of oneness. And so, but then I, like, more I thought about it, I was like, I don't think I would. Because, one, I don't really like the term ego death because it's like, you can't kill it. It never goes away. Right. Fully. Right. And it also goes back to this idea of, like, individual expression. There's a certain amount of ego required to express yourself as an individual. Absolutely. And if I truly stand by my statement that we were talking about before the podcast of like telos, Aristotle's idea of telos, of having this thing that we are uniquely designed to do, that doesn't exist. The like the sense of individual and like having an individual purpose and like having sovereignty and agency, that doesn't exist without mm-hmm. some ego. And that's where it's like I have to always talk myself off the ledge and remember that it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. Aristotle had this other idea of like a golden mean. And so instead of saying you, it's either this or that, everything exists sort of on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. 
and he would say all virtues taken to an extreme become a vice. And so it is this idea that like, even if you think about like an expanding and a shrinking ego, like, like ego is good in so far as it allows us to sort of like express ourselves individually. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as it gets so big that it crowds out the interests of others, right. Or puts us over others. Then right. like, that's when it needs to be put in check. So it's not something to be killed. It's something to be kept in check. Yeah. And so that's where it's like putting guardrails around the ego. I think that is more important. That's what makes it hard and difficult is because that scale is always sliding back and forth. And so you have to always be watchful. And that gets exhausting because you always have to be watching yourself. Yes. Um, and that's where you have to rely on other people. To help, help. I was just having this conversation with somebody else where it's like, we need friends to tell us when our head is getting too big, but we also need them to tell us when our chest is getting too small. Yeah. And it's like, after I said oh, that. I love that. Will you repeat that? Yeah. We need people in our life to tell us when our head is getting too big, but we also need people in our life to tell us when our chest is too small. And the, the chest in reference to C.S. Lewis, again, going back to men without chests, it's the seat of the soul. That's from where the song of us is sung. And so it's the same thing. Like we need people that are going to tell us, hey, your head's too big. Another part of moving to Austin that's been good for me is that people like CJ in my life that say like, hey, your chest is too small. Like speak up. Yep. You have something to share. And that's something that, I always feel like I'm my chest is too small or occasionally it is my head is too big. I'm never I've never found the right balance and yeah. that's what's exhausting is it always feel it always feels like I'm favoring one too much over the other. Sure. I think that that's just the imperfect human existence that will always be. Yeah. I don't think you're ever going to escape it. I just don't. It just, I mean, we're not. Yeah. We're not. That's right. The, right. That's, that's but it's so thing. it is yeah. yep, it's it's also relatable. I have a mentor that absolutely has worked with me on as I did get sober and started to be in rooms with people that I've admired for a long time yeah. and my conversations, I would say, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And I am being taught to say, you know, different things. And so it feels surreal. I'm grateful to be here because I am, but I did do work to get in that room. There's a reason I'm there. Yeah. And so to stop just saying, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't, you know, what, what the fuck? I mean, <laughs> wait a second. You've done really hard work, homegirl, yeah. you yeah. know? So mind you, we've got a ways to go. We are not at the end destination ever. And there's always more that can be done. So to not think that it's that, it's that ego check, yeah. but okay. We could literally go a million. We have to start to round out because we are an hour and a half in here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so all these other questions, are, they can just go fuck themselves. Um, we're not going to be able to ask them. <laughs> At least not on this. So maybe yeah. we'll loop back later. So what I want to ask you is, let's see. I do love this one. So what is something that you think that you are doing well in life oh that you would gosh. like to do more of? Um. I would say, man, <laughs> I don't like this question. Do you want me to give you some ideas? Because I can think of things that you're doing well. I mean, I said, I, I'm going to make myself do this. The, I, th I think this is a little abstract, but I think, I don't know. I think you're being a good friend to your friends. Mm. I think you're taking care of yourself physically pretty well. Yeah, those are good. Are good ones. They're simple. Yeah. I yeah, I don't I'm not super involved in your life to be able to dive super deep on that, yeah. but uh I think you're doing some things right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think it goes back to the spec. I think why I have trouble answering this question is because 
goes back to the spectrum point of like, without a doubt, there are moments when what you're saying is true. There are moments when what you're saying is not true. Sure. And so, so that's what you want to do more of. Yeah. I want to do it well more often. Yep. I, I occasionally do them well. And I would like to do them well more often. So what are they? Inspiring other people. Okay. To be authentic. When I say that, it's mean meaning like people that have known me for a while, if they've, if they've, as they've seen me sort of like step into myself uh, in the last year, I think it's inspired them, at least from what I've been told. Yes. And so it's like it's sort of this restoration of hope concept of like reawakening people to their potential. And that is through the format of sharing your own I mean, reawakening. Through, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's everything from like just sharing the moves I've been making the last two years because I very much view what I would like to do more well and occasionally do well is like if I think about all of my creations or the things I'm creating or building, whether it's my gym, the sauna, my writing, is this idea of like using them as vehicles to love human beings. Sometimes I do that well. Other times I don't. And I would like to, to me, it's like, I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to like do it more well. Yep. What a mission. <laughs> like that's a pretty cool mission. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all that matters is like, how do I use the things? How do I let my uniqueness come out of me in a way how do I use what's in me to love others? And this is like, use like the unique creations that live inside of me and in my soul to like make that manifest in the world as a vehicle to love on other human beings. Yes. It's like, that's, that's what I think I want to dedicate my life to is like, I think it's Emerson's and Emerson's self-reliance. And he talks about each of us, each of us having a ray that we stand in the light of a ray that only we can testify to. So it's like, this unique ray of sunshine that falls on us and will not fall on anybody else who's ever been or ever will be. And it's up to us to testify to that unique ray of sunshine that hits us and it moved in us and like through us. So it's like, to me, there's a unique spot of sun and light and love that can only be known in the world if known through me. And if I don't do it, nobody ever will. And it's like, I think that is what life should be dedicated to is like making that unique love that falls on me felt through me. That's what I want to do well. That's a pretty cool mission. Yeah. yeah. What's yours? <laughs> you know, it's funny. We did kind of talk about this a little bit before we got to recording and just because this is something you're thinking about. And what I said then is, is that for me, okay. I'm, I'm so desperate to help others. Yeah. And so how I do that is through my experiences, right? And so whether it's just a number of different things, whether it's helping people with their nutrition, because it's something I've certainly struggled with. Yeah. Or helping people with their fitness because it's something that wasn't even a part of my vocabulary until my adult life or whether it's substance abuse because that had such a heavy impact on me and I created a lot of trauma in my own life there. Those are the things that stand out to me that are experiences that I've had that I can then use to hopefully help other people maybe yeah. wake themselves up at different times where maybe they don't have to go through so much bullshit, you know, or maybe they can see and get that inspiration. And so I'm desperate to help others. And I feel like the format to do that is something like this, where yeah. I just show enough relatability because at the end of the day, I am relatable. And I didn't start as the version of me that's here today. Yeah. And if you had told me I was going to be her, I would have not believed you. Yeah. And I'm excited because she's, she ain't done, you know, <laughs> just super exciting. Yeah. So that's a great mission too. And then that's also the other thing that I just think about that I, that I haven't talked about on the 
podcast, but it is something that I do say to people that I think about pretty regularly is that the most incredible positive impact on my life was my grandmother Mm. who I lost last year. And she impacted people in beautiful ways. They don't make them like that. (laughs) And so I can grieve the loss and I do. But I can also understand that I got to have a woman of that care, like that caliber, that character that impacted my life so significantly that like she will impact thousands of people after her passing through me. Yes. Yeah. That's fucking dope. It is dope. (laughs) And that's a that's a powerful thing to like dedicate your life to through is like I this idea of like all 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 of your ancestry led up to you yep. and that their love might still be felt through you is like that's such a cool way to live uh, such a cool way to live of like just honoring all the sacrifices of everybody that led up to you right and like continuing to pay it forward for the unborn millions that come after you yeah it's such a cool thing it's a pretty good mission yeah. <laughs> okay so now i have to know three things that you're grateful for i mean this is cliche but whatever the i'm gonna say my parents brief explanation there the I'll never grow tired of saying how much it shaped me in the best way possible that like growing up. So right before I was born, family lost everything in a fire, didn't have much. And kind of everything we had was based on the generosity of other people who donated things to our family. So I grew up basically on the backs of the people of the church. And like, there's a lot of people did a lot of things to clear the path for me to get to where I am. One of the things is like, I think about all the sacrifices my parents made to enable me to get to where I'm at. And I think about like not having much growing up. The one thing my mom always had enough money for was books. So whenever we would go to Barnes and Noble, it was I was always allowed to get a book. And like her seeing that in me, feeding that in me is like a debt you could never repay. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. Yep. Every single day. That's a good one. Related to that, I'm gonna say I'm grateful for whatever force gave me this brain that I didn't choose but was born with Mm -hmm. for the longest time I call it God not everybody calls it that so I don't want to exclude people want to call something else for the longest time my tendency to overthink is anybody listens to this podcast may or may not have guessed that I have (laughs) It caused me to feel there. Lord Byron has this poem where he talks about the fearful gift of like an overthinking brain. It's something that like Abraham Lincoln also had, who's my favorite U.S. president. Like law school, I just I ate him up. But it wasn't until I like stumbled across this article that talked about how when you have the the fearful gift, that same tendency towards like melancholy and darkness and despair also gives you access to sort of like depth of wisdom Mm -hmm. that you don't get to cherry pick like if you want to have it comes with the territory kind of and so i started instead of like seeing myself as having a cursed mind it's like it's the beautiful mind too so like there are aspects of it it's like the sun and the moon like there are there are if i focus on the bad aspects of it yeah instead of like the fact that it gives me it allows for me to do beautiful things if it's used and harnessed the right way. And so it's like shifting my focus more and more to that. So I'm going to thank my, thank your higher power, God for my brain. Yeah. That I did nothing to earn three. 
I mean, it's just, I mean, community, friends, their patience. One of the things I struggle with, I've talked to Yash about this. It's another problem I'm not sure how to solve. Another wound I'm not sure how to heal. That's why I'm just like thankful for people like Yash and CJ and yourself and Eric and who just like love without expectation. Is this like, I have a really hard time receiving positive things. I always think that somebody's lying or is like saying it to manipulate me in some way. And so it's like, there's this like Teflon aspect of if somebody says they like my book or says something that's like a positive thing, my instant reaction is always like, "Mm, they're lying. They're not like, they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. And so it's so hard for me to receive any sort of compliment. And so it's like, what I'm grateful for is the friend's who are slowly proving that voice in my head wrong with their presence. Yeah, you have actually chosen a cast of characters yeah. that is that is going to do their damnedest yeah. to break that. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So, if that's your natural inclination tendency, yeah. you're surrounded by people who are going to shower you with love because that's just who they are. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is cool. I I'm love it. For it. All right. Three grateful things. for this coffee. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad you like it. So three things that I am grateful for, and I'm just going to say, oh, this is great. This is, I, I wrote this down right before, and kindness from strangers mm. or kindness from people that I don't know well. And I, that just comes to mind simply because I had coffee yesterday with a girl who I had met at Rogue Invitational one year ago but in passing briefly, but nonetheless, we met. And then we've seen one another repeatedly since then. And last weekend I competed at a competition for CrossFit here and it was super fun. And she was there and she came up to me and yet again, but in a more in-depth manner, went into all of the reasons that she supports me and appreciates me and so on. And we don't know one another well yet, but it was like, you have no idea how speaking to me in that way means the world to me because, you know, as you just, we're always insecure humans, <laughs> right? So anyway, that was basically a stranger who's been placed in my life and has felt the need to just really love on me. Yeah. You know, so that, that was cool. So kindness from people. those are the, and those are like the ones that don't make sense, right? It's like, it's like the people of like, what do you get out of it? And that's when like my rational brain, it gets so confused when people show that spontaneous kindness and you're like, what? So the way that I viewed it entirely was she relates to me. Yeah. She's saying these things because she's consumed enough of the content that I've put out there that I've said some things that have resonated with her. That has to be what it is. And so now getting to have gone and had coffee with her yesterday and hear more about her story, she's been through some shit, you know, because we all have really. Well, you live enough life, you've been through some shit. And it was, and yeah. it was like, this makes sense. And so now we get to yeah. have that connection. That's so great. <laughs> now, I don't want to hijack it through gratitudes, but that's where it's like, it's people like that, mm-hmm. that are slowly, like when I do have those feelings of like, people aren't being honest with you, then, it, then there's also now the voice that's growing in my head that says, but how do you account for that? How do you account for that stranger? Yeah. Like, you can't keep telling yourself, like, how do you account for these anomalies? Right. And so they're like feeding that, like the good wolf, like the better wolf. And it's, that's the community that just like continues to show up. And it's like, yeah, but how do you account for that? Uh huh. And it's like slowly shifting the tide, uh-huh. like momentum of that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. On that scale. Yeah. They're like adding more weight over here. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? What? Yeah. 
Okay, so my next one is going to be I I posted this this morning on my story, but the ability to fear or to feel fear and uncertainty peacefully. I feel a lot of fear all the time and I feel uncertain about a lot, a lot of the time. And like, I observe it. That's cool. That was not a a way that I could exist in the past. And so that doesn't mean that it's comfortable, right? But it's just, it's, it's, I appreciate the ability to kind of have that perspective at this time. So, Uh, and then again, not to hijack again, what that makes me think of is one of my favorite verses. And I think it's like Romans 12, eight. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. It's like, I, it says I, he is using all things for good. That to me, that's like an expression of there's a certain amount of solidity and secureness that comes for me in like just this faith that this is also a stoic idea. This is where they cross over Christianity and stoicism of this idea that like it's a love of faith, like regardless of what comes your way, it's either going to make you a better human being or like you're going to enjoy it. Like it's all material, mm-hmm. like everything that the future feeds you. Like you have the tools Mm -hmm. to like weather it and Mm -hmm. not only weather it, but like use it to make you better. Mm -hmm. And it's like, once you're secure in that, like you're to your point, it's like you could sit with the fear and like any uncertainty and be like, yeah, but it's going to work out. Right. Right. I trust this and understand that I don't have control over any of the stuff I'm going to get anxious about anyway. So like, all right. (laughs) Figure it out. Right. And then the third one is just the daily practice of prayer with that, of, of being able to give that up and say, I'm not going to be able to be in control anyway. So let me just let this go. So all of that being said, where can the consumer support Noah Heisman? Nowhere. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so on Instagram, it's at Noah Heisman three, which is probably where I found that to be sort of like my personal journal. So yeah. a lot of the things I like to write or think about are on there. My book is on Amazon's This Way to the Stars, an introduction to philosophy. Uh, it's the first of what I hope to be many. I plan on writing one a year till the day I die. Ooh. So audacious to be sure, but uh, important to me. And then the gym here in Austin at Claire Reference is Squatch Frontier Fitness. If you're in Austin, come stop by. It's super dope. We'll hit some ice bath or a sauna or a workout. Let Claire know. You can come by with her. Yeah. Uh, or not. <laughs> or don't hang out with her. She's weird. <laughs> uh, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. All cool. right. Well, thank you for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Like, I I think that this could have gone on for easily four hours. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my gosh, we're not even going <laughs> to scratch the surface here. But I really appreciate it. And then I'm looking forward to getting to know you better. So, okay. Thank you, Claire. If you enjoyed the episode and want to i would sure appreciate it if wherever you are consuming this if you would follow if you would rate review five stars very nice (laughs) five stars thank you very much (laughs) maybe just share it with somebody that you think it can positively impact and other than that you can find me on instagram all of this will you can find me on youtube all this is going to be in the show notes all the information about noah where you can find him where you can find me it'll all be there so that's that other than that You guys have a beautiful day. (laughs) Bye. Bye.